0: In the fall each year we all congregate The found all gathered at the church at getting The scriptures reading from the book of Moses Our favorite verse: my God, a freshman Drunk and obnoxious, well, Georgia faith Ain't nothing finer and in the lane Now the 3,000 of our
1: best friends It's Saturday and last thing
2: Welcome to the Saturday in Athens podcast. We're a Georgia Bulldogs show by dogs fans for dogs fans. I'm your host, Herschel Gurley, here as always with my co-host, Boss Dog. And Boss, special episode today, we have UGA athletics historian, Jason Hasty back with us, who we love chatting with. He's just the best. Knows more about, well, he's probably forgotten more Georgia history than I know about on the whole. Like, he's just... He's just an encyclopedia of Georgia athletics knowledge. So love talking with him. And speaking of, you know, vintage and historical marks, this past weekend was big new Saturday by Homefield apparel. And we had, I was be giving you a little bit of a sneak peek of what the release was going to be. And now that everybody's seen it based on the sales, it seemed like everybody agreed with me and boss that the choices were pretty electric. What did you think of following all the big new Saturday? on Twitter and everything. Did you keep track of the sales as they were going? I thought it was cool to kind of see the sales going up and down and seeing which schools Georgia was taking down um, over the course of the day.
1: No, I thought it was great. Uh, I especially loved, you know, the fan interaction as we passed certain schools and we took over second place and took over Notre Dame. Everybody's like, "Oh, this isn't the first time we went into Indiana and beat Notre Dame or something like that." Like it was yeah. just it was all the all the comments were great. So, unfortunately, we didn't get the Gators, but I, it is what it is. It's, uh, we'll get them on the field. It, it, it's apparel, guys. So, But, I mean, still, it was a hefty chunk of apparel that was sold on Saturday. Less, nothing to bat an eye at.
2: Yeah, it was a, it was a strong showing by the Dogs faithful um, mm-hmm. in their effort to win the world's largest T-shirt party, I guess you could call it. Um, so, yeah, I thought that was fun to watch. And to your point, yeah, I thought it was funny to see some of the other fan bases pipe in. And somebody said, Oh, there should be a final four of t shirt sales, and you should release shirts from all four schools and then see which one comes out on top on like one day. I like uh, that. Yeah, because the Notre Dame fans were like, this wasn't nearly as popular when our weekend went. And like, I just thought all that stuff was funny. So uh, if you guys haven't already, make sure and head over to homefieldapparel.com, check out their Georgia selection. There's some great stuff on there. I was rocking the Georgia golf shirt that they released, the golfing dog. Uh, which is just a phenomenal design. So go on their site and check everything out. When you get to check out, if you are a first time home field apparel user, you can Saturday in Athens at checkout and you will get yourself 15% discount on whatever your home field apparel haul is. So go and give them a look. Again, homefieldapparel.com and uh, go grab all the vintage Georgia gear your heart desires. So Jason had some interesting takes, I thought, on some stories that, I had either only heard kind of topical things about or he fleshed out some things that I had really never heard before at all. And the genesis of this conversation was when we went into town for top golf at Sanford, I took my brother and my wife and my sister uh, over to see Jason and he was kind enough to pull out, you know, gosh man, he must have pulled out a couple carts full. Of stuff from the athletics archives, ranging from things all the way back in the early 1900s, all the way up to um, the Rose Bowl in 2018, capping off the 2017 Georgia season. And we spent probably an hour, an hour and a half with him. And Jason just went through every item with us and told us the backstory of things. And it was really an awesome, awesome day, and we had an awesome time with him. But he told a couple stories, at least gave some more nuance to him that I hadn't really heard before, which he was kind enough to come on again and share with us. And I don't want to spoil it for you because I want you to hear it from Jason because I will undoubtedly ruin the story if I try and tell it. (laughs) But um, what did you think of some of the stuff he had told? Had had you heard of those stories before or was some of that new to you?
1: It was mostly... It, like you said fleshed out like i'd heard snippets and the very condensed version the one thing i did not know at all was the war eagle chant uh that was completely new to me i had heard scuttlebutt that it had come from georgia but never knew the backstory behind it at all so yeah. to hear that story fleshed out and to hear the details behind that was just that's great that's a worth the price of admission folks for that you know for that story alone so make sure you listen to that that's a great story copy us at every every chance they get just like you said i know last year they didn't have the exhibit and but every year the, the new exhibit and this year's exhibit just sounds awesome I can't yeah. wait to get down to athens to check it out definitely want to get down there from a day early so i spend an, at least a couple hours down there just checking out the new exhibit because it just sounds amazing I, once again don't want to give away too much but it really culturally relevant, and especially with 50th anniversary with, with what happened with the football team 50 years ago. It's really, really relevant. It'll really have an impact on everyone that goes there and sees it. Yeah, so
2: Jason talked about a few things with us. He talked about some of the origins of the War Eagle cry with Auburn and how they're tied into Georgia. He told us about the exhibit that he is doing this year, Uh, for the UGA Athletics Archive, and it is going to be awesome. Uh, This is the 50th anniversary this fall of the integration of the Georgia football team. And what I love about it is um, Jason said there will be a piece of it that not only includes the black athletes that were part of the integration of Georgia Athletics, but also um, the individuals that were involved with the athletic program that never got an opportunity to compete or go to school there. Um, so I just love that. And it, you know, with, with Jason piloting that being, um, kind of in the, in the seat of, uh, of making sure all that goes as it should, I, you know, it's going to be done right. You know, it's going to be done in a thoughtful manner. Uh, so I am so, so excited to see that. And he will give details on, on how you guys can consume that when you are in Athens for, for football weekend. So please make sure and do that. Um, you bring up the, the War Eagle thing, and it was cool how that came up, too, because like I said, he had pulled out a ton of ar- uh, artifacts for us. And one of the things he had pulled out was a program from, I believe it was the 1903 Georgia Auburn game, And it was only like in almost mint condition. Like it was beautiful and you know how your boy is about programs so yeah i was like living my best life during all that so we got to kind of go through the program and see how everything looked they had team pictures in there and so he pointed out on the team picture and then said i have a story i have to tell you about this and so that's how all that went he kind of fleshes that out during the interview so um how about hannah bat company do you know anything about that
1: or was that new to you That was completely new to me. Like, I mean, I'd heard of it, but not anywhere near. Like I had no idea it was based anywhere in Georgia or had any backstory with UGA. Nothing, knew nothing about that at all.
2: Yeah, so I I had come across that because I was searching. I think I was trying to find a custom wood bat company and I was hopeful that they had one in Athens. And Hannah popped up. And so I started kind of, doing some research on it. And finally I was like, look, I'm just gonna reach out to Jason and like, see what he can tell me. So he sent me an email kind of explaining stuff to me. And I was like, Oh dude, you have got to talk about this when you come on the show. So yeah, like I said, he has forgotten more Georgia athletics history and Athens history than I could. And you know, I, I could ever ca- know my, myself. Like, and I feel like I am pretty good with knowing history and studying history and, Jason makes me look like I'm like still in third grade social studies. So, <laughs> um, you know, as always, we are so thankful for for Jason coming on and we know y'all will love it and be sure and support him, support the UGA Athletics Archive, support Hargert in any way y'all can. What a, what a gift it is to have those things at the University of Georgia. So without further ado, here is our interview with Jason Hastings. We are excited to be joined today by our favorite Georgia athletics historian Jason Hasty. Jason has uh, met with us before and was kind enough to, to meet with us in person on UGA's campus when we were in town in June for uh, top golf at Sanford. So Jason, always great to see you. welcome back to the show. Thank you much
0: and thank you for having me back on. I appreciate it.
2: Yeah, so first off we just really want to say thanks for being so accommodating with us when we came in June we had a great visit um, just to let our listeners know Jason was nice enough to to bring out some artifacts for us and kind of give myself and my brother and my sister and my wife a bit of a guided tour of Georgia athletics history and we all had a a really really great time so so thank you so much for being so gracious and kind to us Jason we appreciate that
0: hey it was my pleasure to do I mean what's more fun than bringing out a big cartload of Georgia athletics artifacts and spending an hour or two just going through them and talking about them. If, if you can do that in the middle of a the workday, then you're doing pretty good or any day, really. honestly.
2: Yeah, it was awesome. It was awesome. plus had a had a great um, Jason was kind of our tiebreaker on what to do for lunch that day. And we ended up going to White Tiger and getting barbecue, and it was magnificent, brother. So thank you for the, the gentle push on that.
0: <laughs> hey, always, always a good choice if you go to White Tiger. It's, it's, not, it's hard to go wrong there. Yeah. So you were
2: telling me a little bit about an exciting project that's coming up in the fall for Georgia fans to enjoy. I was wanting you to, to tell our listeners a little bit about that and an opportunity they're going to have during home weekends.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, So every year, uh, with the exception of last year because of COVID, uh, what I do is I curate a large-scale museum exhibit about Georgia sports history, some different topic in Georgia sports history. In the past, I've looked at uh, Georgia football during the World War II years. I've looked at Coach Dooley's life and career. I've looked at the first 25 years of Georgia football, the history of the Redcoat Band. Um, So I try to vary it every year so that we can highlight different things for the collection, but also so that when people are in town for a game or, or just to come in and enjoy Athens, they can stop by the Special Elections building to see something that they haven't seen before. And so this year is it's actually a really special uh, exhibit. It's a special anniversary this year. Uh, this is the 50th anniversary of the integration of Georgia's football team. Uh, five men signed uh, with, the Georgia, with Georgia in 1971. Uh, they were not allowed to play on the varsity team until 72 just because of NCAA rules at the time, which limited freshmen to the freshman team. But this is the 50th anniversary of that really historic event. And so this exhibit will look at the integration of Georgia football, uh, really of Georgia athletics, not just football. The emphasis will be on football, but, but not just that. And so I'll be looking at some of the earlier, the early experiences that Blacks had in intersecting with the athletic department or with Georgia sports through that time when those five men signed. We'll look at some of the athletes who maybe people don't know actually predated them. Uh, There were several athletes who actually signed and played in the Georgia teams before those men played football. Uh, Maxie Foster played uh, ran with the track team in 68. Ronnie Hogue uh, played basketball starting in 1970. And so then we'll go on to look at some of the other experiences, some of the other firsts that have taken place, really up to the present day, uh, where you have um, black first or you know historic moments in uh, for black uh, athletes and coaches in Georgia sports. Um, and when I say to the present day, I mean look at uh, just last month, DJ Shockley was named the new sideline. Uh, sideline host for Georgia football games, replacing Chuck Dowdle. So uh, he will obviously be be the first uh, Black person to be part of the broadcast team. So history is being made even to this day. And so that's really what the exhibit will look at. We'll also look at uh, some names that a couple of old, some older fans might remember. um, Clegg plus Clegg Starks or Harry Squab Jones, gentlemen who were not allowed to be, to participate athletically with with the team or even enroll at school, but worked their whole lives for the Georgia Athletic Department, uh, both starting in the 19-teens and Harris Squab Jones actually being associated with Georgia football until until Coach Dooley retired. So for almost a century, these two men were on the sidelines uh, with Georgia Athletics, contributing in the way that they could contribute Uh, even though they were not allowed to, like I said, either enroll in school or uh, be part of the athletic program. So that's going to be the overview of the exhibit. Uh, It it really is just looking at some of these historic milestones, some of these experiences that that Black athletes have had, Black coaches have had, and really celebrating their accomplishments and trying to keep those stories alive. They're They're such important stories. And I want to make sure that we keep those stories alive for new generations of fans who may not understand the context of what they're seeing when they see black athletes performing with our teams today.
2: Well, that sounds fantastic. And I know based on the work that you always do, that it'll be an excellent exhibit. So if Georgia fans are in Athens and or on campus for dogs games in the fall, what are the ways that they can consume the exhibit, the times,
0: all those type things? Sure. Well, we are not, the, the downside of the Special Collections Library, like, like most buildings on campus, we are closed on football Saturdays. Uh, so you can't come in on a Saturday and see it. However, uh, we are open during the week, Monday through Friday, 8 a.m. to 5 p.m. We're actually adding some evening hours, Tuesdays and Thursdays will be open to seven o'clock. So if you're in town and can come over after work, that will be great. Uh, our museum galleries are open and free to the public. You don't have to pay to get in, free to all ages, and come in and, and look at the exhibit to your heart's content. Uh, certainly, if you have questions, people can contact me. I'm always happy to talk about things. Um, on Fridays before home football games, I will, at three. Fridays at 3 p.m. before home football games, I'll be offering a free guided tour of the exhibit. It'll be about an hour. Uh, it'll be me basically just talking about some of these things. We'll have a... A Q&A portion for people who may have questions about some of the topics we're talking about. Uh, and it's, again, just it's free, no reservation, just come to the second floor of the Special Collections Libraries at three o'clock on a Friday and we'll, we'll give you a tour. And I will also mention that for folks who either maybe want more Uh, a more in-depth look at this topic or aren't able to get to Athens or aren't really able to get to see the exhibit, there will be a digital companion exhibit available uh, when this opens to the public, and that will be free to everyone to use, and it will explore some of the topics a little more in-depth. It'll have a lot more photographs. Uh, Obviously, with any kind of museum exhibit, you're really limited in in terms of physical space, what you can show, uh, but through a digital exhibit, we can really go in depth more uh, and show more things uh, than maybe we can even the physical exhibit, which is which is quite substantial on its own. And the exhibit, well, by the way, is called Not Only for Ourselves, The Integration of UGA Athletics. Well, I
2: can attest from firsthand experience that all of y'all should take advantage of that when you were in town on game weekends on Friday and spend an hour with Jason learning and taking all those things in. Uh, he is a fantastic, fantastic resource um the university of georgia and georgia fans are are lucky to have you so everybody make sure and go out and uh and hang out with jason and up your knowledge a little bit on georgia athletics history so make sure and do that and we will we'll keep tabs on that as the season gets closer and we'll make sure and link things on our social and stuff as well and like in our show notes just so folks have a reference point um and speaking on that uh you told us some stories when we visited with you back in june that uh, I had not heard the depth on them that you gave. And the first one that I was hoping you could tell our listeners about was um, the unique historical, I guess, situation behind Auburn's famous war eagle cry and its connections to the University of Georgia.
0: You know, Georgia and Auburn are connected in so many ways. Uh, It's really hard to separate the two schools, even though I think we all can agree on who's better. <laughs> uh, and, and people may not realize how, how far back this connection really goes. Uh, of course, they were the second team we ever played in football. Uh, the first was Mercer. We were their first team member, and we've been fighting each other like grumpy siblings ever since. So, in the early days of, of athletics, what you see with, with mascots and with rallying cries and slogans is they, they form very organically. Uh, this was not a time when you had marketing experts, branding uh, experts, uh, you know, things really weren't commercialized. And so mascot slogans, rally cries, it just kind of came out of nowhere or they came out of the experiences that people had with teams. And you know, the, the war eagle cry is one of them. Uh, there was a, a man named Harold Ketron. Harold Ketron was a center on the Georgia team. Uh, he was our best player. Uh, in that era, he played, this was be 1903. Uh, he was our best player on that team, uh, which was not one of our finest teams, sadly enough. But he was, he was the best player on there. Uh, Harold Ketchman was from up near Clarksville in Habersham County in North Georgia. And his nickname was War Eagle. Uh, oddly enough, apparently what he would do when he went in to make a tackle or when he was playing is he'd just start yelling War Eagle, War Eagle. The story goes, and Auburn has quite a few different explanations as to where they got their War Eagle cry. Uh, the story goes that um, Auburn players heard him making, yelling War Eagle and they liked it. So they started doing it themselves and it really caught on with the team and it caught on with the fan base. And so that's kind of where it can be traced back to. And the official Auburn uh Explanations of where they got their war eagle cry. I actually do acknowledge that this is a possibility. I, I think they're a bit loath to admit that it could be from Georgia, but I mean, come on—we've all seen the hedges around their stadium, and their and fight song. It's uh, it, it's fully possible that they took it from us. Um, so, but it's it's just one of those fun little little quirks of history that you know the the war eagle really could have been a Georgia thing originally, uh, and really just coming from that one player.
2: Yeah, and I was trying to think back as I was thinking about our interview today. What was what spawned us t- talking about that? Was it the program that you showed us from that yeah. same year? Is that what it was? Yeah, in the
0: archives, we actually have a game day program. It's our oldest game day program from the Georgia-Auburn game on Thanksgiving Day in 1903. And it has Harold Ketron right on the cover. So that's what spawned that conversation about uh, Ketron and war. Yeah,
2: and I'll be honest, that was one of uh, my favorite things that you showed us, just because I I think programs are such a cool thing anyways, but it was neat. And we had talked about this that day, that really, from a, I guess, digestibility perspective, Mm -hmm. the program of 1903 was not much different from the programs that we see today. It had ads from local businesses, Uh, Throughout Athens, had pictures of the team. Um, I don't know. It it just struck me in the similarities from the difference in 120 years. You know, Uh, so I I thought that was neat. Look
0: at that game day program. It's not much different than what you have today. Today's are fleshed out more, but the basics are there. Uh, The basic structure is there. It's like they decided really early on. This is what we want in our game day program. We want some local ads and pictures of the team. And that's kind of it. Like everything else is, is extra, but that's really what they want.
2: Now, another story that you told us, which I thought was great to get some depth on, was the story of the Savage turnover pads. Um, because you had brought out some of the pads from the Spike Squad. Mm-hmm. And it kind of interplayed with that. And it was something that was cool, I think, for all of us to hear, but especially my, my wife and my sister, who may not be as dug into to Georgia lore as my brother and I.
0: Sure. And that's something with, you know, with the archives. I think people hear the word archive and they think, you know, dusty old boxes filled with ancient history. And, and that really is not the case, especially with the Athletic Association archives. It's a it's a vital piece of, you know, it's a vital growing archive. It's not static at all. And so new things are being added. Uh, and we're trying to, as new traditions develop, um, trying to document those, and make sure that we have, you know, documented them appropriately and given them their due place and the historical record. And one of those new traditions is the Spike Squad. Uh, the Spike Squad dates back about 10 years. Uh, it's not a very old tradition. It's not like People in the 20s were wearing spikes on their sweaters and, you know, tweed <laughs> coats or whatever they were wearing in the 20s. Um, but it's something that grew organically. Again, you know, it's just an organic thing that grew out of a, a student group. Uh, and I think we, you know, Georgia fans, we all know the Spike Squad. It's, it's, we don't really need to talk about who they are. They're at every game pretty much and, and every sporting event. And there's such um, an iconic piece of what Georgia sports looks like now. Uh, a couple of years ago uh, the president of the spike squad a young man named Kelby Canada, uh, donated his spike squad costume to us uh, he was the slash uh, figure he had the slash uh, uh, you know top hat and and curls curled hair and he had, you know he was kind of the rock and roll the rock and roll spike squad guy and he he donated those uh, spikes to us and his his hat for a uh, for an exhibit we did a couple of years ago on the 2017, celebrating the 2017 season. And he was gracious enough to let us keep those for posterity. And, and so the reason I'm talking about this is we brought up those spikes to, sh- to show you the other day. And you were asking about the, the gold spikes, the turnover pads, the savage spikes. And I mentioned that, uh, and, and this is what Kelby had told me, and I, I wasn't aware of that that the spike squad actually made those for the george football program Uh, the players actually approached the spike squad because they love the look of the spike squad and they wanted a turnover prop because that was kind of the rage a few years ago yeah and so they wanted one for for us and they approached the spike squad on their own had the spike squad made those savage pads and you know, especially in that 2017 season, they became famous. Uh, in such a huge part of that season uh, for the team and uh, for the defense. I think we all can remember, you know, Richard LeCount uh, wearing those and, and you know celebrating on the sidelines a few times. So it's such a it's this emblematic part of Georgia football right now. Uh, but that again just grew out of a student group. It wasn't something that. Nike gave to us it wasn't something that uh, a marketing team developed it was something that the players on their own went to a student group to have developed.
2: I love that just because I think it's such a great I think story of synergy between the student body and the football team that represents it right like I I just thought that was really cool that that those two things intersected and kind of worked together to make that happen so I I love that story Um, and I'm glad you brought that up about I guess the connotation around the archives and what that brings to mind for people, because I would say of, you know, at least a third of the stuff you showed us was from within the last 10 years. Yeah. So there's a ton of cool things in there. Um, If you're a Georgia fan or if you're just a history fan or, or whatever it may be, I mean, a ton, a ton of cool artifacts um, I mean, we had loved seeing the gloves that Sony wore when he's doing the jazz hands, when he scored the winning touchdown against Oklahoma in the Rose bowl and the, the, uh, game ball that he was carrying when that happened and just really, really cool artifacts. I think we saw Nick Chubb's cleats that day, yep,
0: the um, cleats who the Rose Bowl. Yeah.
2: yeah, just a lot of really awesome artifacts. Um, and, and I think too, and you shouldn't discount this in the equation, but, Jason really has a passion for it and does a great job of kind of maintaining and passing along those stories. So, um, like I said, just a great resource that, that Georgia fans should take advantage of. Um, I wanted to ask you about something that we saw that day that I meant to ask while we were there and forgot, but I saw that there were flyers that day for a baseball card exhibit. Is that still going on?
0: No, that's not. That's actually, uh, that's a really neat thing, but it's, it's not part of the Athletic Association archives. Uh, Senator Richard B. Russell, who represented Georgia and the U.S. Senate for for decades, was a passionate, uh, he was a sports fan generally, but he was a passionate baseball card collector. And in the early days, he collected baseball, when he was young, he collected baseball cards and preserved them. So oh, wow. he had, you know, a Ty Cobb, he had a Honus Wagner, he had all of the great, cards from that time, from that time period that collectors, you know, get so excited about. Um, And he, when the Richard B. Russell Library was founded back in the 1970s after he passed, Mm. those baseball cards actually came into that collection. So they're stored here in our archives. They make an appearance every once in a while. Uh, they haven't made an appearance in, in a little while now but every once in a while the russell library will bring them out to display or to show at an event but um they are also online i believe google richard b russell library baseball cards and it'll give you some more information about that uh, but yeah those are really really neat and to see those uh you know the 120 year old baseball cards is, is always pretty awesome so
2: So to stay on the baseball theme, you and I had emailed back and forth about this because I was picking your brain about it, wanting to get some further depth on it. But tell us a little bit about the Hanna Baseball Bat Company.
0: You know, the Hanna Bat Company is is a really neat piece of Athens history that has kind of been forgotten uh, by, I think, certainly most people who don't have an interest in sports who just don't really think about it or don't know about it. The Hanna Bat Company was founded in the 1920s. Uh, It was a company that made shovel handles and axe handles. And somebody said, well, we're making handles. We might as well make baseball bats. There's not a big (laughs) difference between a handle and a baseball bat. So they started making baseball bats. And they became one of the major suppliers of bats to the major leagues and also to colleges um, church league teams, softball teams, I made softball bats. And one of the kind of the features of the Hannah bat company is that if you had a favorite baseball star who used a Hanna bat, you could write to them and request that they make you the same model of bat that, that player used. So, uh, you know, I, I think Lou Gehrig used a Hanna bat for a while, so I used his name. So if you if you like Lou Gehrig and you wanted to hit with the same bat that Lou Gehrig used, you could write and they'd make one for you. Um, they give you the Lou Gehrig model bat. So it was it was a big concern. It was a big manufacturing plant here in Athens. And it was, uh, for those of you who are familiar with Athens, uh, it's down kind of near where Weaver Dees is now, uh, East okay. Broad Street, going past uh, the building where the, the newspaper was headquartered for so many years.
2: Yeah, uh,
0: yeah. So good, that end of, of Broad Street. Um uh, so uh, kind of in the 60s, I get the sense that it started to decline. Uh, Louisville Slugger was always the number one bat manufacturer, but Hannah was right there with them for decades. And I get the sense they started to decline a bit in the 60s, and then uh, they closed in the 70s. And one of the reasons I think that the, it, the the company has really kind of fallen out of our collective memory here in Georgia or here in Athens, or for Georgia students who pass through, pass through Athens is the building was housed and burned to the ground. And so there's really no physical reminder of it left. It's not like the Hanna Bat Company has been turned into student apartments or something like that, or, or businesses or things of that nature. The building is just gone. Uh, As you might imagine, a building full of decades of wood shavings did not, it was not an easy fire to put out. Uh, So that's kind of the story of Hanna Bat. It had passed out of memory Hanna bats were, were very well regarded. They're very nice bats. They're actually real collector's items. Uh, we're lucky to have two Hanna bat bats. And they're also called some called bat right bats, B-A-T-R-I-T-E bats. And we have two of them in the archives. I, I don't know the provenance on them or why they're here other than they're Hanna bats. But uh, I do know that the Georgia baseball team used them for a long, long time, as you might imagine they would with the bat company being here.
2: Was one of the other stories that I read that if you went there during their heyday to take a tour, each person that went to take a tour received like a
0: mini <laughs> Hannah Batwright bat to take home as a souvenir. They did. They would receive it and get a little miniature Hannah right bat. And they would sometimes give them out at, at Georgia games, which just seems like a really bad idea uh, to arm a bunch of football <laughs> fans with miniature bats. Yeah. In fact, there's one story that Dan McGill told for years uh, Dan McGill, of course, the, the great historian of Georgia of Georgia sports. Uh that we played LSU here in Athens in the 30s. Uh, we lost and LSU wanted to tear down our goalposts. So our fans swarmed around the goalposts with their miniature Hannah bats to defend it. Um again, I think that's probably why we don't do that, do that now. Uh, <laughs> but you can find the, the miniature bats probably more often than you'll than you'll see or find the, the regular size bats. But yeah, you could definitely get a little mini Hannah bat.
2: Yeah, I was I don't even remember how I came across it, but I, I saw it somewhere. And I thought you know what I think I was doing. I was looking to see if there was a current wood bat manufacturer in Athens or the Athens area. And I saw this thing for Hannah and kind of went down the rabbit hole. And I was like, I'm gonna stop all this. I'm just gonna email Jason and see what he could tell me about it. <laughs>
0: That's yeah, it usually great. a good idea.
2: Yeah. So Jason gave me all this awesome facts and it was so cool. And it it did kind of make me think like and that'd be neat if, if somebody would do like some vintage t-shirts or something that had like Hannah Back Company on it or something like that. I just feel like there's a lot of old Athens history yeah. that could be preserved. Like, have, have you and I talked about the uh, Harry dog origin story, mascot Harry dog? I don't think we have, no. So we interviewed the first, like two of the first folks we had come on and tell their Georgia story mm-hmm. were Stan Beecham and Tom Sapp. Mm-hmm. So Stan Beacham, first person to ever wear the Harry dog costume and Tom Sapp, one of the designers and originators of the Harry dog costume. And one of the coolest stories that both of them relayed was the day that they debuted it to the football team prior to the sugar bowl in 81. Mm-hmm. Uh, Stan goes out in the costume and Tom's there and coach Dooley brings him out. And then after everything was over and, and practice was done, Tom and Stan, and I always forget this. I need to be better about my history. Tom had a co-creator with him, his his business partner at the time. Mm And the three of them went to Allen's Hamburgers and had hamburgers. And Stan apparently was still in the bottom part of the Harry Dog costume.
0: <laughs> um, that might have so been the they, ultimate Athens experience for that time. You're in the Harry Dog costume at Allen Allen's Hamburgers.
2: Yeah, but so like you know, like Allen's <laughs> is no longer there. Like I, I just think there's these cool relics from Athens history that kind of aren't around anymore. And I wish that was preserved in some way, or that people could you know, wear those things around or whatever it may be. And who knows, maybe there's zero appetite for that. But I just love the preservation of those type things, especially cultural things like that. Like you, Mm -hmm. you talk about Allen's to a certain demographic of folks that are associated with Athens and Mm -hmm. with UGA. And I mean, it's immediate, you know, like people automatically cling on to that and tell you their, their Allen story or whatever it may be. So I don't know. I just, I
0: love stuff like that. Well, you know, you're right. You know, the the Hanabat name, like I said, is is just kind of fallen completely out of currency. It's, It's not something people really think about anymore. There's so much Athens history out there and Athens has always been because of the university. It's always been something of a transient community. People come in for four years and they love it. And then they go away and they may, they may visit, but they're kind of revisiting like with Alan's or, you know, they're visiting or the grill or places like that, they're visiting their old, their old haunts. They're not really trying to explore new, a- new parts of Athens history that they don't know much about. But uh, one thing, one thing that is, is good here, you know, we do, aside from the athletic association archives, we do have a huge collection of Athens materials, as you might imagine, photographs and documents, letters, whatever you need. So a lot of that is preserved here, but it, there is so much to explore. I mean, Athens is an old town. People don't really think about how old the city of Athens is. You know, it dates back to around what 1800, or in that in that time period, um, the, the exact founding date just slipped my mind. But it's it is a very old city here in Georgia, and people don't really explore that. They tend to cling to what their experience was during their school years. And I know if I, because I, I went to school here as well, and if I had moved on, that would be my situation as well to, to really think about blue sky coffee or jittery joe's or some of those places that existed when i was in school in the 90s
2: yeah i just think it's such a neat thing and i you know i obviously i i love those type of things as evidenced by how much i'm always picking your brain about different topics and stuff as it pertains to georgia history but i just think those are neat stories it would be cool and i guess it speaks to it that you said the building itself burned down I, i would assume that any type of plans like bat plans or bat sketches and things that the company may have had probably went the wayside when all that happened. Cause it'd be neat to have some of that or to be able to see some of that. Cause to your point from what I had read too, they were pretty prevalent in their heyday. Like they were a legitimate competitor for Louisville slugger big time, big league names were using their bats uh, all out of little old Athens, Georgia, which I just think is such a neat piece of that history.
0: Yeah. It's not like a little company here in town that we wanted to be big time. It wasn't. It was a big name company. It was very well known in sporting goods uh, circles. Major League players use their bats. Uh, colleges use their bats. It would, they were a big deal. Unfortunately, I really don't know much about where the plans went to. I don't know if they survived. Maybe they were lost in the fire. Uh, I, don't, I just genuinely, I genuinely don't know what's happened to their, to their records, uh, which is a shame. I would, I would love to hold them here, of course, Uh, And I think that it would be a really neat piece of Athens history to preserve. Uh, But yeah, sometimes you just don't know, maybe one day they'll show up, you know, hopefully one day they will. But uh, As of right now, I I don't know where they are.
2: So I want to close with you today by just getting kind of a pulse of the campus vibe from you. Fall practices started back up. I'm sure the students are trickling back into Athens to get the fall semester started. Just tell me what the what the buzz is like in Athens as we're as you and I are talking. Twenty four days from kick, I think it's going to be an electric season this year. A lot of anticipation, a lot of expectation. What's the, what's the feel in the classic city? What's the feel around campus?
0: Well, as always, my, my huge caveat is probably better to ask me what the feeling was going to nineteen forty six than to <laughs> ask me what the feeling was in twenty twenty one. I can I I think that everyone I've spoken to. Uh, and as you might imagine, just because of what I do, people tend to like to talk to me about sports and and, and the dogs. Um, because I, you know, in addition to being this being my job, I am a Georgia fan, um, a lifelong Georgia fan. So I think that the feeling is good. Like everyone I've talked to has been really super positive. I think there's a good vibe on campus. Uh, I think it's just a really positive, uh, a positive vibe. I think everyone looks at the team. It's It's a wonderful roster. I mean, yeah. you look at the talent that, that Coach Smart has accumulated, and it, it has to be top to bottom one of the most talented rosters we've ever had on campus. And, and that goes back, you know, a long way. And the Herschel teams were great. Uh, some of the teams that Rick had were stocked. Um, some of the teams that Coach Butts had were stocked. You look, 46, it was a stock team. Then 42, you had Sinkwich and Trippy. Right. Uh, so I think in comparison with that, yeah, this team is has a great roster. Um so I think the sky's the limit and and I think you know, I'm expecting great things and hopefully we'll we'll see that bear born out in the fall. It'd be nice to have another title here.
2: Yeah, no doubt about that. I, I the thing that strikes me is it seems that there is a really good leadership group intact. Mm-hmm. And that's one of those kind of intangibles that can't be measured or rated or whatever it may be. Um, by all the experts, but I think that's there in spades for this team. They just seem to like each other, and they seem to get along, and that seems to be fostered by uh, the guys who are in leadership positions, whether it's Karis Jackson or JT Daniels or Jordan Davis or whoever it may be. There just seem to be a lot of of good guys in that leadership room. Um, and I think that's going to matter. And I think that was part of that 2017 run was you had a group of guys who were really strong leaders, a lot of respect from their teammates and kind of took that burden away from the coaching staff. I think those are always the teams that kind of separate themselves. So yeah, we are, uh, like just chomping at the bit. So excited. Um, we are, we got our tickets to, to the opener. So we'll be in Charlotte for the Dukes Mayo classic. I am, so excited. My brother lives in Charlotte. So okay. we had free lodging. So, it, hey, that's, that's great. Yeah, you can't beat that, right? No, I'm so, sure,
0: I'm sure hotels rooms would be uh, a little scarce that weekend, even in Charlotte.
2: Yeah. Well, so it's holiday weekend too, right? So you're kind of, yeah. it's double whammy. So I oh, think it's yeah, going yeah, it to be wild. And then you got two obviously fervent fan bases coming together to meet in a driving distance
0: neutral site. So well, I think it'll mean, be it's great. such an old, old rivalry. Yeah, uh, just a, a bitter rivalry for so long. Uh, if you look at the the, the games in the '80s, uh, those were just heavyweight bouts every year. Um, and but the rivalry itself, I mean, it's, the campuses are close together, uh, yep. and it's natural rivalry. I, I will say there was one one kind of neat little story to throw in there in the early 20th century. Uh, one of the matchups in the early 20th earliest years of the 20th century. Uh, Georgia and Georgia players and Clemson players made a bet on the outcome of the game, which obviously wouldn't fly now. But the winner had uh, the loser had to provide the winner with I forget how many bushels of apples. Apparently, those were in demand. So Clemson lost and they gave they had to give our players I forget, like I said I forget how many bushels of apples. It might be the most wholesome sports bet of all time. That's so, right. Uh, maybe, maybe that's a good rival trophy: the, the the East Coast Apple Cup.
2: Oh yeah, I like that. Oh, I, I could definitely get on board with that. Yeah, I was gonna, I was gonna tell you. There's a, there's an artist who does. Um, kind of Georgia based artwork. Now, Dave Helwig, are you familiar with his sure. work at all? Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. So we, we got, we met Dave down at the Jacksonville Bulldog clubs tailgate at the cocktail party. And he had all his stuff out. And I mean, he, I just think he does neat stuff like, yeah. um, and so he's done a couple sketches for this game with Clemson's tiger mascot, all mocked up and all this kind of stuff. And one where, uh, kind of a ferocious looking hairy dog is holding the, the tiger tail in his mouth and all this stuff. I don't know. I, I love stuff like that and the excitement about that. I got one more question for you because with sure. everything swirling around and all the changes um, with Texas and OU coming to the SEC and mm-hmm. the, the then aftershocks of that with where schools might shift with this new realignment puzzle – I know probably for you, like me, it just pains the historian in you and the, and the sentimentalist that loves the, the history and regionalism of college football. But I guess what are your thoughts on all of that? And, and do you think, I guess no different than it was when Mizzou and A&M joined the conference, that we'll still be able to maintain some of those you know, decades-long traditions from the Southeastern Conference that are beloved by so many?
0: Sure. You know, and I will say right at the outset, this is the most the the past three, four months have been arguably the most historic period in term in college athletics. Uh, Yeah. From the NIL laws coming online to the Supreme Court ruling on amateurism uh, to this kind of seismic realignment. There really hasn't been a period in college sports that has seen this much change this rapidly. The only period you can really compare it to would be to 1906 when the NCAA was really getting formed and there was the movement to reform college football because it had become so rough and so deadly. Yep. That, however, was really just a rules change. It, it was not a fundamental shift in the definition of college athletics like we've seen now. So for me, from a historical perspective, this summer has been incredibly exciting to see these uh, events unfold. And I'm really looking forward to seeing what the ramifications will be down the line. In terms of Texas and OU, uh, I think any college fan could see that maybe we were in for another round of realignment yeah uh, conference expansion or consolidation some form of that certainly with some of the like i said some of the shifts in amateurism and, and nil laws coming online i i really I, I, as a fan i'm really excited about texas know you coming in they're true blue bloods in college history uh, right they really right are. and not just in football they have great athletic programs across the board and uh, even though we've talked a lot about football today and, and some about baseball but you know, we really document all college sports here. Yep. So that is that is huge. Plus, you know, games again, I mean, Texas and Oklahoma, or Te- Georgia and Oklahoma have only played at the Rose Bowl. You know, mm-hmm. that's the only time in our history we played. That, I think, will be a great rivalry going forward. Yeah. Uh, Georgia-Texas, you know, you have the similarity between Austin and Athens so often compared to each other. Again, great schools, uh, similar traditions, so from that perspective, I think it's exciting. And I think that one of the things that has really defined the SEC is its ability to maintain its identity, even when changing. If you look at the SEC, you know, Suwanee, one of the founding members, dropped out in 1940. That was not a big move. Suwanee was kind of an odd fit, even in 40. Um, then you had Tech and Tulane drop out in the mid-60s. The identity of the SEC doesn't really change that much. Uh, with the addition of Arkansas and South Carolina, you know, it's, it's a natural that South Carolina would be in here. Arkansas was a great fit when you're looking at the western part of the SEC. But kind of the fundamental identity of the SEC didn't change. Uh, when a and and Missouri came in again, you don't really see that commitment to excellence that the SEC has maintained through the years change. You don't see those traditional rivalries change. And there seems to be, uh, you know, I would say there's an understanding that what makes the SEC special is are these, are these rivalries, these right. centuries-long rivalries. So right. I don't think that that's going to be as big of an issue going forward because I think the SEC understands that and understands that's what makes it special and understands what makes it such a great conference and what keeps fans coming back year after year after year you get rid of Georgia Auburn, you will lose something of the identity of the SEC.
2: Yeah, that's, I think that's my only concern is that if we get too big and they can't figure out a scheduling structure that maintains Mm -hmm. the games that we all want and need to see, right? Like there have been, I saw some models which were talking about, well, Georgia may have to give up playing Tennessee every year. They may have to play every other year. And, Stuff like that, for me, would be a non-starter. I just think there's too much there. You can't just say, oh, yeah, they'll just play every other year. Like, they got to figure all that out. I think that's going to be a vital part for the conference office to figure out how to maintain those historical annual rivalries because I think that's the, the fabric of the conference and the fabric of the fan base.
0: I agree totally. And that's, like I said, it's what keeps fans coming back year after year, generation after generation. It's what really makes college athletics special. You pass along these stories through your fan base, through your family, through your tailgating, you know, family, year after year after year, generation after generation. And that's what makes it special. And that's what really differentiate differentiates it from pro sports, where you see so much change in the teams every year. Yep. Teams move. You know, we're not gonna pick up and move to austin texas you know just because the conference is expanding like a protein might um but i do think that is a, a, something that they will need to address and there are plenty of people i'm sure they have working on it who have made a lot more money than me so, working on that but, <laughs> and, me, so, and
1: me
2: too brother <laughs> yeah,
0: but i'm sure that you know that's something that will be a big a big issue for them and i don't see Georgia wanting to move away from a yearly matchup with Auburn or Alabama wanting to move away from a yearly matchup with Tennessee. It's just too ingrained in the traditions of those schools. Um, Tennessee fans at the moment may want to move away from Alabama <laughs> yeah. just because of, you know, how the schools are at the moment. But that wasn't always the case. There was a right. many times when Tennessee was on the top of that rivalry. Uh, and I think that it's an issue – if we do lose those, I do think that would be a, a real blow to the spirit of college athletics, not just in the SEC but across the country.
2: Yeah, it's going to be extremely interesting to see how it plays out. Um, I think it's one of those things we'll have to mark and watch. I mean, to your point, what a what a transitional period this last quarter year has
0: been mm-hmm. with all the things that are happening. So and it, you add on top of it, uh, last the twenty 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 right Um, exactly we had to go through there exactly
2: exactly so it's an ever-changing world even in even in college athletics so Mm -hmm. well jason we are always so appreciative of you spending time with us and we certainly appreciate you sharing your knowledge and expertise with us as we've we've always told you you're always welcome to hang with
0: us (laughs) hey i'm always i'm always glad to be on with you guys i really do appreciate you having me on and letting me ramble on about stories from 100 years ago that, that always makes me feel oh, nice. man
2: we're uh <laughs> we're we're really excited to see the exhibit this fall too so we'll, we'll keep tabs on that and make sure and direct people there and we're certainly going to stop by and see you and see it uh in the fall we're in town in athens so we will we will look forward to that and uh in the meantime man go dogs go dogs hey george is better now